Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com. So here's the question. How are people like us who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models? who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life. How do we get over breakups, get into authentic relationships and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity? My quest is to get you the answers. I'm really excited about this podcast today and I'm trying to show my excitement in my voice because that's something that I've never been able to do. I've never been comfortable with my voice. It's monotone and nasal. I know most people don't like their voice, but mine particularly. However, my guest today, Tracy Goodwin, is a very special voice coach and she has a unique gift for being able to listen to your voice and analyse to you what has happened to you in your life that's holding you back and show you the ways that you can then change that. How she works is she helps you to understand the psychological barrier and the muscle memory to change the way that your voice sounds. So I was on her podcast recently and she's given me some exercises to give me more control over my voice. So anyway, I got her to chat with me about how voices can be a barriers and masks that hold us back in relationships from being able to really connect to one another. You could give a brief backstory to everything that led you to where you are now. Sure. I, interestingly enough, was raised in a family where I wasn't allowed to speak. So, of course, the last thing on my list of things to do when you grow up is be a voice coach because it was always my albatross. And I wanted, but I wanted to be an actor. And I started speaking on stages and acting when I was 12 years old because I had a platform to use my voice that was acknowledged and I was really good at it. Now, there's, you know, I went off to college to study acting. And there was a catastrophic event that happened in my college years because I, had this inability to use my voice. And as a result of it, my voice started sounding like this. And I ended up working with some of the greatest voice masters of our time because of that. And that was really the foundation of it all. I went on to be an actor, went on to be a director, but people kept finding me about working with their voices. And I thought that was just bizarre. I always did it. I was always skilled at it. I always loved it. But in my mind, that could not be, that would be fraudulent. <laughs> you know, how could somebody with my background be a voice coach? And then I, you know, I finally embraced it because it finally became clear that it was my purpose. And I started doing it full time. And that's when I really discovered and created the psychology of the voice effect, which is my own methodology. That is when I discovered that I'm actually a voice intuitive and that I can literally hear and tell people how things are being processed subconsciously. And, and, and it became an absolute, you know, love for the last 28 years. I can't imagine being able to, you know, doing anything else, but it, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell, the journey, it was certainly not the plan from the start, but oh my gosh, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's interesting how people's wounds or, 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 or obstacles or, uh, circumstances are, are, tend to be the thing that lead them to their passion I, I, I don't know if it's it's kind of that you need to prove it or you need to I don't know but it is quite interesting how it usually is something quite deep that makes someone oh I couldn't do the voice work that I do I could not have created psychology of the voice 
it mm. would not have happened if I had not been raised by a narcissistic mother. So I am able to look back and see it was all part of the journey. But it is fascinating. I think where we have to, you know, what becomes important in us is that we have to be willing to embrace that. Like I ran from it for years. But when I finally realized, oh, I get it, then I was off and running. Okay. So that's interesting that you you say um, because you were raised by a narcissistic mother. And that's often a lot of people have problems with being in a relationship with a narcissist. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience if you're well, comfortable to do so? Yeah, oh, I'm, a, I'm an open book, and it really, I, I don't know how I survived it, honestly. It, not just being raised that way, but the ramifications that I have worked on. I have been a lifelong fixer of self because of the damage that was done in that. Of course, I turned around and married a narcissist you know, and, and I got out of that marriage, but it was, it's very difficult to deal with narcissists because of the mind trip and because of the damage to self-worth. That is what I've spent, you know, spent certainly the first 20 years of my life recovering from was, you know, and that's the core of my work is that every voice matters. And when, when I was raised in such an extreme environment where no thoughts, no dreams, no goals, we do not want to hear your voice. What you want and have to say means zero. To recover from things like that is insurmountable, but that's the purpose of my work is to make people understand that their voice does matter. But it's, you know, it's it was difficult. It was difficult. And the, the choices that I made were based in, in, you know, you learn to be, we're like little movie cameras when we come out of the womb. And for me, that, that was just the normal. It never entered my mind that that was not normal. Mm -hmm. And so when you get out into the world and you realize, hold on a minute, I think that might be messed up. You can start to rebuild what is real and rebuild who you want to be. But it's, you know, to this day, you know, I'll still receive text messages in capital letters. Why are you such a problem? It was obviously my lesson and obviously my journey. And obviously, I think it links to my work, but it's tough. Hmm. And, and a lot of people are. Get, I know a ton of women and men my age and otherwise. I work with a ton of people that were raised by a narcissist or married to a narcissist. And it's, it's really damage at its finest, I think. Mm. Yeah, especially when you're so young. I think, you know, like I, I told you my story and, and nothing really bad happened to me. It's just what you learn because you're so, because you've only got this tiny piece of the puzzle, you know, you take that learning and it gets buried under everything else that you learn. Okay, so sensitivity your intuitiveness and your the theme of your life is about voice did you have to listen for the tonality like of, of your mum? was it the tone is it i'm interested something must have made you so much more sensitive yeah and you know i've thought that's a great question and i've thought about that a lot in fact there's been many days where you know even just yesterday a woman said to me i've never seen anything like this you're absolutely 
extraordinarily special. And, you know, I, of course, was so touched when she said that, but I've asked myself that question a million times. Why did I get this gift? Why did I, why was I on this purpose? Why was this my path? And, you know, it's interesting because everything I remember about my growing up was that I was bad. I was difficult. I was a horrible child. And, but I can't really put my finger on anything I did. I never snuck out. I never, you know, I never did any of those things. And I honestly believe after a lot of processing about it, I believe I was sensitive from the start. I believe that I was most likely born this way. In fact, I worked with a healer one time and she said, I honestly believe that it was, they, they recognized on a subconscious level that you had a gift. And that is why they struggled with you so. And I thought that was very interesting. I, there is no doubt it, that I had to learn to listen because my entire existence was about navigation of my mother, keeping her happy at all cost because the ramifications were unbelievable. I was never allowed to ask for anything I wanted or needed. And so I would literally read there, her and my father, my father, you know, of course, he was not a narcissist, but he was definitely had to appease her. We all did. And so I learned to navigate my asks and learn to, and honestly, I believe I learned to manipulate as a child because I had to, to survive. And I, I think every ask was based on not only tone, but sometimes energy, you know, kind of feeling, uh-oh, she's mad or uh-oh, she's not speaking to me again. I guess I'll just have to wait. And, you know, I spent my entire life on eggshells, not not anymore, but well into my adult years. So I think that that was certainly a part of it. How I discovered that I can literally tell people how their, their stories from their sound, I don't know. I don't know if that came from my upbringing or if that was literally a gift. And I thought that everybody could do what I can do. It was only in my 30s that I realized that everybody can't sit down and identify, literally verbalize what they hear in another human's voice and tell them their whole story. Hmm. But I think that, you know, I think it was, I think I was, this was just my path. I was always sensitive as a child. I mean, you look at me the wrong way and I'd burst into tears. And, and, you know, my answer to that was, well, I'm going to move to New York city because I figure New York city could toughen me up. And it did. It was one of the greatest moves I ever made because I was so sensitive and took everything so personal empath from the day I was born, no doubt in my mind. So you, so you talked about navigating around your mom, um, which means that, Basically, that dominated your life. So you didn't have a sense of yourself and a sense no. of a sense of where you wanted to go. So, so of the two, were you more sensitive to the words or the tonality? Tone, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, I'm guessing that. Hundred percent. Because, kind of the the way that I see it is when you're 
And I think for most people, I think this is a, a normal thing. I think I've seen some research that people tend to listen to the tone before they listen to the words. And you can kind of, most of us, you know, even if we're not sensitive, we have some understanding of body language and we know when someone's saying what they truly feel. So what are some of the ways that you've noticed? You must, it's kind of like, like, do you know Paul Ekman? He's, no, I don't know. He's a researcher. He's researched into lies. There's a, a TV program which is kind of loosely based on his study of lying. And I can imagine oh. that wherever he is, he's kind of like, yep, yeah, you're lying, you're lying. And you, you do kind of, you know, if you, if you know people and you've worked with people, you can kind of get a grip. But I imagine in, in relationships, it must be, you must have this much, much more detailed awareness of, what, of what's going on. But I'm trying to, to pull from your strengths and your abilities to things that anyone listening who, who hasn't got the same tonality sense, sense, what are things that they can do to know about in relationships in terms of voice? Well, let me give you a couple of examples and a couple of things that people can do. First, you're spot on on the research. The research, you know, this is, this is not just Tracy's thoughts and and. and you know, ideas based on 28 years of doing this, science has proven that we literally, it is the tone that impacts us. And it does so because it is the tone and and what we do with our voice that has the power to touch our senses, which in turn affects our emotions. Words do not have that ability. They are simply data. And the favorite example I give all the time, which I know you're going to appreciate is the man and the woman, married or not, it doesn't matter, they're on a date, and he can tell something's amiss with her. And he says, is everything okay? And she says, I'm fine. Now, if we were just going to look at the words, the words say she's fine, and we could let it go. But she isn't fine. Hmm. She's not fine on any level. And she gave that information in the tone. Now, I am not a relationship expert like you are, but what I have seen in my work, whether it's people in business or people in life or people in relationships, there is tremendous fear around saying our truth. And so what we do is we funnel it into the tone in the hopes that they will get it. Nine times out of 10, they don't because they don't. or sometimes, for example, in that man and woman example, sometimes they do, but the man's like, okay, she said fine. That gives me a get out because yes. so many men just, particularly men, I'm generalizing, are like, I don't want to talk about it. And if she says, that's fine. Okay, right. You said it was fine. Yes, so true. And so you've got to, I, you know, I have this saying, Rob, the words are everything and they are nothing. It's what you do with them that has the ability to affect me and change me. So we've got to move beyond, like like your comeback on that was beautiful. It was perfect. We've got to move beyond, well, she said I'm fine. So that must be it. Hmm. No, the, the, the information is in the tone. And so I think we have to start listening differently. I think we have to, people have to start listening for tone and, you know, I mean, no, people aren't navigating the world like I am, but 
you have to listen and then you have to be willing to explore the possibilities of what you hear. Like not just saying, well, she said I'm fine. Yeah. Well, it must be okay. It's probably no big deal. Because the number one thing, and I don't, I don't know, I would imagine this relates to your work, but the number one thing people are looking for next to belonging is to feel heard. And so when somebody puts an inflection, a message, a screeching red light in a tone, and we don't pay attention to it, they don't feel heard. Hmm. Even though maybe they didn't really use their words in the best way, but they put it in the tone and you didn't get it. So clearly you don't love me anymore or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that story. Um, we're all the time looking from other people. You know, I, I, the way I look at it is relationships. Uh, the problems come mostly from misunderstandings and miscommunication. And that's, that's whether that's in actions, you know, he left the tooth, the cap off the toothpaste. He doesn't love me. He didn't take the trash out. She, you know, she didn't get me this. She didn't do this or the tonality. So, um, Okay, so someone send so someone's sending a message, and someone isn't, or someone's aware that there's something going on. Have you got any tips for how? Because the emotion, it's it's the emotional message is sent in the tone. So, is there a way of kind of deciphering that, or? or Well, let me say this first, and then I can talk about deciphering the tone. Sometimes what comes out in the tone isn't always, isn't always exact. Well, let me back up a minute. This is what we need to, this is what we need to do. It starts one step before deciphering tones. It starts with, we have to start having the courage to say what we really mean and say what we really feel instead of saying I'm fine, but jamming you with my tone. I've got to start working with, honestly, I am spitting feathers mad at you right now. And I want to tell you why we have to start having that courage because our tones, when we, when we imply a tone on something that is, you know, we're frustrated, we're angry there's going to be a hostility in that tone. And that does reveal how we feel. But what we need to do is, to, is, is rewind before we're escalated and say what we really mean and reveal how we really feel then so that we don't get to this escalated, passive-aggressive, I'm not telling you anything because you should have figured it out by now, but man, I'm going to let you have it in my tone. So I think we have to, to back up a few steps and start with that first. And that involves, I need to reveal to you how I really feel. I need to reveal to you that I'm sad. I need to reveal to you that you hurt my feelings. I need to reveal all of those things in my tone before it all becomes escalated to fury or sarcasm or total irritation or total you are an idiot, or whatever it is. So we have to start having the courage to not only say what we really want, need to say, 
but really reveal all the shades of our feelings so that you can really know because you hear it in my voice when you really cut me to the bone. Because you can respond differently to that. We're going to respond differently to all the emotions than we are to consistent anger. When I know you're angry at me, of course, it's the easiest choice for me to say, deal with it later. But if you had come to me and said, Tracy, I got to be honest with you, that really hurt my feelings. And I, I don't even understand why, but I need you to know that. You know what you're going to do? The, the voice that I hear that sadness with is going to touch me and trigger a sadness in me and make me go, dang it, Tracy, you know how that hurt. You've been there before. Now let's work this out rather than I'm punishing you. You hurt me three days ago and you're done. So that's, you know, I have, that's what I want to say on that for mm-hmm. sure is we've got to back up and we've got to start, you know, like literally like you would tell a three-year-old, use your words. Yeah. We literally have to do that. But we have to have the courage to express hurt and pain and anger. and fr- We have to express joy. I know people that will not express joy in their voice because I don't want you to know that you made me happy because then I'm possibly faced with disappointment or I'm possibly in a place of vulnerability that I don't want to be. So we have to start with that. But I think when you, when, you know, your question was, can we, how do, can we decipher tones? I think first and foremost, trust intuition, because I think that intuition, I mean, it was my intuition that led me for years in telling stories to people about their voices and I, I refuse to believe that I could do what I did, you know, and I think a lot of times we don't want to believe what we hear. We want to live in this imaginary world of it's all, it's going to work. It, nah, she, she's going to get over. It's no big deal. No, no. I'm going to come home from work tonight and it's go, no, no, no. So you have to, if your intuition says you better put on the brakes and pull over right now, because there's a problem, there's a red flag and I hear it in her voice or I hear it in his voice, you better start trusting that instinct. And I think literally, like I said, listening different, listening, do I hear a frustration? I think we can all hear those things. You may not be able to decipher and, and talk about how things are processed subconsciously like I can, but I think if you were mad at me, you know, if somebody was mad at you, I think that would be obvious. And we need to start acting in those moments rather than brushing them off and, and following that intuition. I don't know. Does that, does that help? Yeah, no, no, it totally does. Um, yeah, I, I'd kind of, I'd kind of thought, you know, with the voice that it would be more about the voice, but yeah, I see now, as you say that it is, it's the psychology of the voice story. That is the gap in between. And this is this is the basis of. So this is really the basis of relationships. Is is the basis of. Deep down, everyone wants to connect, but there's so many fears, anxieties, and insecurities that come in between couples that they kind of want to, but then they don't. And it, it, it's it's like anything worth having, you have to you have to go through that kind of fire. You have to go through the trials, go over the obstacles, 
so that is that is the core thing of finding you know it's like you're familiar with the hero's journey yes yeah so i mean it's 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 exactly that every hero has to come out of their comfortable world go through the journey of trials and find the the elixir or the boon so yeah and and this is why why i was so struck by your work because you know i'm kind of developing a program which is about having all the emotional foundations in place is about dealing with the anxieties knowing who you are you know what your personality is understanding um you know stuff you know all those kind of memories and when i heard your psychology of the voice it was like okay like I was getting all these, okay, if you've got a memory from the childhood, it's there for a reason, right? You need to do it. But it was all disparate. And then when I, so what really struck me is when you said psychology of the voice, and it's like this, and I go, ah, oh, you've got to do it as a journey. And so that's, so then now I'm developing that and I'm thinking, okay, so it needs to be, you need to know the journey of, of who you are. And I, I think that is, the problem is, it's the things that we're unaware of that are the things that drive us. Oh, for sure. And, and even, you know, like what I hear you saying is exactly the core of the psychology of the voice effect. Sure, we can talk about foreshadowing that you're doing in your voice and vocal masks that you're putting up to hide behind and, and lilts and patterns. And I can talk about all of that if you want. But we're not going to solve that until we find the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. It, it, it is. It's, it's about, and I see this sometimes. So like I, I've had groups and there's, and there's men and women, like what, well, you know, talking about how men see women, women see men. And the women are saying like, well, we just want to connect. We just want to connect. And they go, well, I, I don't want to because you're going to ask me, how do I look in this dress? And I, I, I don't know what the right answer is. And they go, it's not the right answer. So I just want to connect. And they go, but yeah, but what's going to happen if I say that? And and it is, so it's a generalization, but generalize, women want to connect. And, and a lot of the tonality in that is is poking to try and get at, okay, I want need a reaction. I need to know that you care. Yes. I need to know that you're going to listen to me. I need to know, can I trust you? And um, so, so yeah, it, it's kind of getting to that connection, which is getting well, past. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, which is which is just getting past fears and anxieties and insecurities. Well, and the, you know, it's principle two of of psychology of the voice is we connect through what we hear in our voice. So, you know, when we want to talk about foreshadowing and vocal masks and things that you're going to put up, you don't even realize you're doing it, but you're putting it up in your voice that is guaranteeing I can't connect with you. And and the example you gave is perfect. If I am setting, you know, if I'm already in anticipation that you're going to tell me I look, you know, unattractive or you don't like this dress, there's going to be a defensiveness in my voice and he is going to pick up on that and answer accordingly. And it's all going down subconsciously. Hmm. All of it's going down subconsciously. And I love that you bring up emotions because if you think we're not going to hear emotions in your voice, you need to think again. And that's where I go back to, we have to get to a place of starting to say, honestly, I don't really like that dress and be willing to do it, but have a neutrality in our tone because it's all that defensive and, and poking, like you said, and masks and barriers. And I'm proving to you that I'm, 
good enough for you or you can we can never connect if you put a bulletproof glass between us mm-hmm. and and without even recognizing it or or even hearing it it's in the voice now after this episode people might start listening to voices differently but normally we're just not thinking about that kind of thing never do i work with people that they're going around with the awareness that that they have after they hear a conversation like this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, which which all comes to to overcoming anxieties, insecurities. Okay. So, and that that's kind of something that's quite deep and and it's going to need a lot of work on or or even just the awareness of, but there's something else that, that, so, because I don't, I don't, I don't want to often, it tends to be, you know, like the work I do and this kind of talking about relationships tends to be weighted more towards uh, women, you know, it's women that listen to it. So I want it to be from both sides because, um, that you know, the, as a as a generalisation, men are um, tend not to want to talk, tend to want to hide, tend to you know stonewall all those kind of things. But then it's also about like what are the women doing? You know, and there is this whole kind of thing that men have to live up to this image, and there's like the man up, grow a pair, um, a real man, um, all these kind of ways. And, and there's some research on it of of the sense of some men react aggressively, physically or whatever, but there's a kind of sense of shaming, um, and using tonality and all those kind of ways that, um, that women do to men in this dynamic. So I'm just wondering if you could speak to, speak to that kind of um, how men can deal with that and, and what women are doing unconsciously with their voices and, and, and also their words. Well, we're, we're putting up masks to get a result that will never get us that result. I'm going to push and prod you. That's the mask. I, I'm, I'm scared to death to ask you and have you tell me no. So I'm just going to put on my mask of push and push and push a little more. And I'm going to push you to the brink of giving me what I want. So we, we put, ma- I call them vocal masks and they're needing to prove. And, and there's two kinds of, of, there's five elements of vocal variety and there's some of them are push elements and some of them are pull elements. And we get this death grip on what we want and we vocally push and push and push and push to get it. Think about this. When I do this, doesn't it make you want to pull away from me and walk away from me? Aren't I repelling you? Versus when I talk to you like this, does this make you want to lean in and get closer to me and connect with me? So that choice alone 
you are putting up a mask, you are making a choice of, I'm pushing this to the end. And you are repelling him. You wonder why he shuts down and won't say anything. You pushed him away. Hmm. That's, that's, That's how I address the women. Now then we can talk about the men in a minute. Okay, so so where I go to with that? So when you did that, you know, you're talking like a, a, a school teacher, and, and I was like a rebellious kid. Like if someone tell, a teacher tell me off, I'm I'm like, yeah. and and inside I could, feel, <laughs> like, yeah, right. So, but you know, like I'm I'm listening. We're talking about this abstractly. It's it's nothing personal to me. But in that tone, I'm reacting, and I can feel yeah. anger coming up. Yep. So, um. And what that brings to, to my mind is, are you familiar with transactional anal- analysis? I'm you, not sure. So, so TA is, is basically you have critical parent, and when someone acts as a critical parent, the other person goes into a role of, of like, um, what's it, critical parent and, like, naughty child. Um, oh, okay. And so, uh, or, or where one goes, one acts as, like, lost child, and then the other one goes into like nurturing parent, that kind of thing. But so, yeah, so listening to you, your, that your tone is causing me to go into a role and then couples get into, you know, they play this role and it, like anyone watching can see the kind of childish pattern that they have. But it, hearing that brings it home that it's the tonality that's triggering those roles. And it's, it's kind of what introduces those patterns. Oh, absolutely. And I see it all day long. I see it in business. I see it in relationships. I see it in families. And it is, and it's like, I don't even know why we do it because it's like we got a memo in third grade or something that said we have to do it. But I can take those same words. I can say, Rob, I'm frustrated with you working so late all week long. And I can say to you, Rob, I'm frustrated with you working every night so late. Or I can say, Rob, I'm frustrated with you working so late. So, you know, which one, and that goes back to what we started talking about to begin with, is it's the tone that touches the emotions. It's the tone that triggers the senses. And then there's another problem. We get locked into a tactic. And, and the best example I can give you for this, and I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but here in the, in the States, you go to the grocery checkout line and there's racks and racks of gum and candy and all kinds of things. So you walk up to the, to the grocery line with your child and your child wants some candy and it, he asks you one way and you say no, he instantly changes tactic. Hmm. And you say no again and he changes tactic again. So it's about you know, changing tactic that is true to how you really feel, not a, I'm going to, I'm going to be like this because you obviously are trying to mess me up. You're ruining my life. I'm choosing this push choice. No, if you are really angry, reveal that. If you are really frustrated, reveal that. If you are really hurt and scared, reveal that. Change tactics and know that pull, I will always subconsciously want to connect with you. Push, you will always subconsciously repel me away. Hmm. It's just like the physics, like magnetism dynamics, isn't it? Mm. Yes. One repels, one attracts. Totally. Okay. So, um, so there's a lot there I'm, I'm still kind of taking in, but, uh, so the, the to- 
the tonality um when you're talking about that and you you're talking about are you familiar with the gottmans that sounds familiar yeah uh, great um relationship re- researchers they've got like 40 oh, yes. years of in relationship research and they talk about the four horsemen of the ap- uh, apocalypse of the, of the four four things that are signals of like a relationship's not going to work uh-huh. and it's and content and so much of that comes down to tonality you know yeah and it like if someone goes into you know if you you've got this built up resentment anger bitterness frustration you're going to say it um but if you bring it out with the if you bring it out with that contempt with that criticism in that tonality then that's immediately setting off um where someone's going to stonewall or defensiveness oh absolutely and i think part of it is we wield tone like a sword we use it as a weapon to punish. And I, that was certainly my experience growing up. And I, I don't know that everybody does. I don't want to generalize and say, okay, all women are wielding their tongue like a sword or all men. I certainly don't mean that. But we have this illusion that if we give you a tough tone or we give you a, it can go the other way too, Rob. It can go, if I'm a victim, I can use a t- tone of, it's okay. I didn't really want to go anyway. It's manipulation. It's wielding my tongue like a sword to get what I want rather than just honestly saying, I really wanted to go. But we have so much fear around revealing who we really are and revealing how we really feel. And that is the job of the voice. So if we are in fear of revealing how we really feel, we are going to manipulate our tone. And you are exactly right. The buildup is catastrophic. The number of people that believe they cannot communicate because they say something and they don't, they don't necessarily get what they want or they get pushback or something. So they stop talking, stop talking, stop talking, and then they lose it. And then the first thing that they say is, I'm a terrible communicator. And they shut down again, which, you know, that's silent treatment, which is the worst way to use your voice. The worst form of manipulation is to stop talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking um, some men that I've spoke to who their relationships disintegrated and they, they don't talk. And it's often, it's a way of managing it. It's they feel, if I talk, if I talk, it's going to end up in a row. It's going to end up in a row. Um, we're, we're, there's a chance I can't control how the conversation will go. There's a chance we're, we're going to split up. If we split up, I'm going to lose my children. Mm. So I'm not going to talk because if I don't talk, 
um, it, it's managing it. That, that breaks my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. That breaks my heart because mm-hmm. what you just told me is that man does not feel he will ever be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the most tragic thing that next to not belonging is to believe that your words don't matter mm-hmm. is very it's you know it costs people lives it will cost people lives and but it's a two-way street you know i mean he, he was given something to cause his shutdown most likely well i i would imagine that that choice to shut down that could be unsolicited but i would bet and and you're going to have to tell me because I don't know, I don't, I don't have the data on it, but I would bet 100% of the time he was driven to shut down by words and tones that were shot at him like arrows. Yeah. Would that be yeah. accurate? Yeah, okay. It, it is, and, and, and what I, what I'm, uh, while you were talking, what was going through my mind is, so I was um, talking to someone, and... Basically, I was trying to explain situation, and, and I think we have this mis- misguided idea that we're adult, we're grown up, we're adults, we're however old we are, that's the age we are in all areas. And yeah, and I was trying to explain, like, so they weren't coping very well with stress. And I said, well, you know, like, you've got the stress coping mechanism of an eight year old. Um, and that's kind of what all these tactics are they're they're different you know like i learned this at five so i'm going to do this i learned this at eight i learned this and and we assume that because we're you know however old we are that's the emotional maturity that's the level of stress we can cope with that's the level of communication we have and so really what you're talking about is so many of us are stunted in our communication, in our sensitivity to, uh, to emotional maturity to, to, to be true about who we are and what we believe and want. Hundred percent. If I'm if I, because that's vulnerability, the voice and how we use it is the utmost place of judgment. If I tell you how I really feel about you, I am standing here naked, ready for the fire. If you come back and say, I don't feel that way about you. And so you're exactly right. And I think part of that is an immaturity of, and I, maybe it's not immature, but we want what we want. Hmm. And we have to come to terms with, we're not the only one here. Yeah. We, you know, that, that it's give and take that it, I don't, I'm not going to get everything that I want, but what are the sacrifices that I am willing to make for you? And sometimes we make too many sacrifices. You know, I, I would imagine you see all the time women and maybe even men that, oh, no big deal. I'll just take it. I'll just take it. It's okay. They sacrifice their own worth and self and wants and desires. And then 32 years later, they're mad as hell. 
know, right? Spitting feathers and he shuts down. So we get in these patterns and it all links back to vulnerability and, and fear of not getting what we want and fear of judgment. But for me to say to you, to take that risk, to reveal in my tone that you hurt me, to reveal in my words that I'm furious that you did that, it takes courage. But if we want beautiful relationships and a life we adore, we've got to start being willing to be willing to be willing to be stepping into that courage. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because you talked about not getting what you want in terms of the relationship, but it's that's really the journey of life. Is that the journey of life is is that we we have these childish desires, that these kind of whims that we're we're chasing these things. So, like in, in my example, when I was, when I was a teenager, all I wanted was money and power, and mm-hmm. it took kind of a breakdown of um, like a. a I opened the business. Um, I was full of cockiness for, I I had it all worked out. Six months later, I was homeless. I was 60 grand in debt. I was sick. Um, And it's only in that, that you understand that there's something better, you know, like, you know, like it's it's like the child you, you talk about wanting the candy or the chocolate and they, they want the chocolate, but it's not the best thing for them. And it's actually, it's it's the willingness to let go of your own whims and desires and kind of understanding that we don't know what what really is best for us. It goes back to understanding that even though we may be adults, we're still kind of immature in, we're limited in our desires because we don't, because the world is so big. Um, and when we're not able to see around the corner of all the different things, which is kind of like after a breakup, everyone, you know, after a breakup, people are crushed and it's like, oh, never. But for so many people, the breakup is the pivotal moment where later on, you know, they look back and go, oh, you know, it's, it was a shit time, but I'm so glad that I, I went through it. Yes. Um so yeah, it's it's um, that's huge about being willing to kind of surrender. That it's not about just getting what you want. It's about, and this is what I'm trying to to get to in terms of relationship. It's not about the relationship. It's about your journey in life, and it's in your journey of life. Maybe it's it's you know all you can do is be yourself. Go out. Maybe it's the right one or maybe it's not, but there's trust that there's seven, you know, there's more than 7 billion people in the world. You, there, there is someone that you're going to settle with that that's going to have everything. You just need to, it, it, you just can't uh, define who it's going to be. Right. And we make these decisions about what we want. And then we manipulate with our voice and our tone to make it happen because we refuse. And I've experienced it too. So don't think I'm sitting here like I never did it myself. We shove that round peg in that square hole. And what kind of misery is that? When when it is about the journey, it is about... If you are a part of me serving my purpose here, 
fantastic. But this is who I am. It goes back to that courage and that vulnerability to just be me. And if Rob says, it's just not really my cup of tea, then be okay with that and know and trust there's something better. Hmm. Instead of continuing on that, well, I just won't talk to her. I just won't talk to her. I just won't talk to her. I'll just shut down. I'll just shut down. I'll just keep pushing and hammering because if I just hammer long enough, I'm going to get it. No. Who are you? Reveal who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually so simple, you know, just simple. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we, we had a conversation last week where, where you know, I, I was doing all those kind of things and I was kind of aware that I would say kind of stock phrases because I, I was aware, like, I didn't want to get into and it was it was not wanting to connect. And I did, but I didn't kind of link it together. But it is, you know, people are looking, you know, people look for these magic bullets of the rules or the, or the, or the, the dating techniques that's going to, you know, get the girl, get the guy. Um, but it's not really about that. It's just about living your life, being yourself and just having the trust and the, the confidence to be able, and the vulnerability to be able to do that. Well, it's about being enough. It's mm. about, you know, we, the world tries to chip at our worth and take our worth away. You know, and sometimes it even starts with our own families, but we live in this more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. We live in, intense comparison, intense comparison. And so we make a whole lot of choices, even with our words and our voice, to be like what we think we're supposed to be when it's not about that at all. It's about, you know, I have a lot, I have a lot of, I work with very successful people and they all have very high high levels of perfection that they demand upon themselves. And that can really get in the way of their success and their freedom, really, more than anything, their internal freedom. And something that I flip in them, which I think is applicable here, is stop making the litmus test, did I get it perfect? Did I do it right? Am I good enough? Is this fantastic? Did I blow them over? Did I get what I want? Start asking did I do it better today than yesterday? Did I communicate better yesterday? Did I reveal how I feel better than yesterday? Because I know a lot of people that, com- that really beat themselves up over their tone as well. Parents taking tone with children for 14 years and regretting it. Well, okay, let's start to flip that. And did you do it better today than you did it yesterday? We need to change that and stop striving for the Instagram story, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so you're, so I, I, I can pick up on the kind of the perfectionism is, and what's behind that is I think when, when people play video games, you know, like kids play video games, and there's all these kind of cheats. So uh-huh. it gives you this extra thing. It gives you this extra thing. And, and so it's not about you against that in like a straight thing. It's about wanting to weight the deck 
And I know from, for myself, the, the perfection is kind of like, I want to have so much loaded up so that when I go out to, to bat, you know, like I, I'm, yeah, I've got, I've got, you know, so much better, more prepared. I've got an unfair advantage is basically, and that is basically an insecurity of feeling that like you need that to win. It's like you, you want to win, but you, you, you need like, you know, I, I want more. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, I suppose that's a, 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 I don't know if it's fear of failing, fear of losing something like that or not being enough, maybe. Well, I think it's all of those. And I love that analogy. And I want to tell you how that comes out vocally that stopping you dead in your tracks from the start is if you are, if you're in that space, you feel a need to prove. And so when you go on that first date, you're all proven. You're proven how great you are. And we can hear that in the voice. So, you know, you asked me way earlier on, how can people navigate these tones? Well, there's one right there. That the person who's all, you know, Mr. Cool Guy or Mr. Cool Guy. I mean, I do have to be honest. I think this may be more of a guy thing. I'm not for sure. I don't mean any disrespect, but I, I wonder if it is. what Because women have their own deal. Which, oh, I'm so sweet. It's so nice. Yeah, sure. And then they can turn into a monster, right? So it's this needing to prove. And, and women need, can need to prove as well. But why can't you just reveal who you are? because you might drive her away or, or she might drive him away from day one because of that vocal mask of, yeah, this is my car. But actually, and, and that is true because, because you, you know, that can be the thing, you know, I feel like a lot of men typically will, will just talk about themselves and yeah. then we'll go, well, I went on a date with him, but all he did was just talk about himself. And, and, and he, it's, yeah, that's that insecurity of feeling they need to, to brag. Um, but the, the other part to that is the vocal mask may push them away, but the even worse than that, the vocal mask may attract them. And then oh. you're attracting someone who's got an entirely, you know, yes. like I, I, I talk about this, got, you've got an unconscious contract in relationships and you're, you've connected like if you're both doing that you've connected with something false and i I know a lot of people talk about you know dating narcissists and and they'll they'll get into a relationship and the narcissist will pretend to be everything that they they they're looking for and they'll listen and they're here and they go okay this is what the role i'm going to play and then someone gets into that relationship they're hooked and they're like well he's he's just the man or um and then it's like gone and it, and that's where people are kind of devastated because it's something false but even if it is insecurity and they really want to be with a person the whole basis of the relationship is wrong number one you you're you know you might spend six months three years with someone who's wrong for you it's never going to work out but just because like you managed to fool them for a while yeah and i bet that's common I bet you see that a lot. Mm. And that's that's exactly what I'm talking about with, you know, and it's a societal thing that implicates women to be sweet and be nice. But we're, and I'm nice, but not all the time because I get irritated because I'm a human, mm. right? Yeah. So we, so I don't dare put up that illusion 
that that's who I am. I'm, I'm nice because I'm nice and this is me being nice, not because I have to be something that you want me to be. You know, I call it feelers out and we, and it's the people pleaser. And when we're people pleasers and we got our feelers out from a vocal perspective, we're reaching to see what you want us to be. I want to know who you are. The number one way for me to know who you are is for you to reveal it in your voice. And the minute you don't, I'm going to know that's not who you really are. And I think that, yeah, of course I can discern that and identify that, but I think everybody can. If they will be willing to get out of the illusion of what they want it to be and listen to the reality of what it is. Hmm. Yeah. When I talk to people, you know, after a breakup or wherever, and they talk about the relationship, they say, I knew it on the first date. I I knew it. My intuition told me, but I didn't listen. I thought I'll just let that go or, you know, we'll see. Um, And there is a lot of research about, you know, making decisions and having awareness, you know, from our gut, literally our gut bacteria before we're aware of it. Yeah. So the question then that comes to me is you've gone through this um, and you've gone through the journey and you've now talking your truth, expressing your truth. And what you do is you help people to express and, and to share their truth. So can you tell us how you did it and how you've seen other people do it? Well, it was a, it, it was a big, like I said, it's a huge part of my life was my own journey in finding my own voice. And for me, it was a whole lot of it was about getting sick of myself, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I mean, it's that, you know, I think they talk about it in coaching. It's like you just get sick of the pain and you want to do something different. And the, the, the frustration and the regret and the doing without and the patterns that I saw within myself and it getting sick of it and dedicating my life to my worth, to finding my worth was how I did it. You know, there's not anything that I take my people through that I didn't walk through myself before I was 30. But how I approach it with my people is certainly based on how I found my own voice and is based on my own story and is based on everyone that has sat before me is that a lot of, you know, and I don't know for sure, but when you think of voice coaching, you think about voice techniques, like, you know, blow your lips and things like this. And all that's great. And that that is a part of what I do with people. But the first thing I do with people is I tell them exactly what I hear and how it's being processed and why that's hurting them. And that's always a shocker. And it's, it's being processed subconsciously. And then I identify the drivers. What is the driver? When, you know, you were told you were Nobody wanted to hear what you have to say. You struggle with worth. You struggle with people-pleasing or perfectionism. We don't have to dive deep in and fix those, even though I did personally. But that awareness of why we do what we do gives us the ability to change it. So that when I then come in, because the driver put the bad voice habit in, 
the driver that says to the woman, you better ask for permission, is what put in when she talks like this and everything is about permission. And so the fact that she can go, oh my gosh, you're right. I've spent my whole life asking for permission. I don't want to do that anymore. When I write it out of the muscle memory, it is no longer linked to the experience. And that's been some of the most fascinating in my work is that the psychology piece is 100% connected to what was put in the muscle memory. We take it out of the muscle memory. We put something new in, get you some instant proof of something different, and you're off to the races. Not only do you now really understand the depths of confidence and courage, but your entire life changes simply because of your voice. Mm. No, I, 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 you know, I experienced last week, um, I'd, I'd gone through, you know, speech exercises and they, they had no impact. And, um, and I'd also gone through the psychology, um, but that hadn't had any, mm. had, that hadn't changed because, you look and you think it's it's other reasons, you need, and you. But having the two together is is so powerful um, that that yeah, it, it does change. And and when you change one element, then yeah, it's it's knowing, it's confidence. Like for example, in my situation, I, I didn't feel I could change my voice, and yeah. it was only the exercises plus you know that, that gave me that confidence um and belief that you that i could do that and then you and then you know when we start going after muscle memory we can shift muscle memory very quickly and rewrite those bad habits and so as soon as you start putting out a new product you're going to get a different response back you're going to start getting more of what you want and then that almost becomes a a thrill in a way, I'm going to definitely keep doing this because I like getting what I want or I like being heard for the first time in my life or whatever it is. You know, for me, the psychology of the voice is something that I figured out and put all the pieces of all my life and experience together. For me as a, you know, the training that I had, I fixed the muscle first and then I fixed the internal drivers. But what I started seeing with my people was when, as soon as I identified the driver, all of a sudden it was almost like a giant permission slip. It, it was almost like, oh, I'm not really a failure. Oh, I, I really can use my voice. Like you said, you, you didn't really even know that you could fix your voice because you'd already tried some things. But I've just been fascinated with how when we look at both and we, you know, we, you know, you, we worked on it. You don't, we don't have to dive deep into the psychology, just the acknowledgement that your subconscious put something in place when you were five to protect you. And now you're 40 and you don't need it anymore is a great permission slip to move on and do something different. And I think we wait for those things. I think we, you know, we like, it goes back to that comparison. We live in a society where why is everybody yelling is what I say to my business people. Why is everybody yelling in every single boardroom? Let's do it different. But we just kind of do what we see. Hmm. 
yeah, it's it's kind of uh, I'm guessing it's a it's an immature tactic that you know, like in a five year old class, everyone has to shout louder, right? And it's like not, not understanding that there's more sophisticated techniques. Yeah. Well, it's that choice to push, like we were talking about even in relationships. We think that's the most powerful way. Loud and fast, loud and fast. Surely you're going to hear me. Those are actually the weakest voice tools. Slow and quiet and pause are the power tools. Okay. So that that, that brings to mind just um, you, you talked about five five elements. Right. Which would be um, volume. Um, Sh- so yes, what would volume. be the other? Shades of loud and fast. Shades of, uh, I mean, shades of loud and soft. Shades of fast and slow. Pause. Elongation. And shades of high and low, which is pitch, which is melody, which is where the trust is built. And we shut them melody all. Melody is where the trust is built. Melody. Yeah, science has proven that melody is how we, how we decide if we trust you. And interestingly, so, in, interestingly enough, it's especially in men, virtually eradicated. And my research shows me it comes from when the voice changes, the male voice changes, and some little 13-year-old girl laughs at you and your subconscious says, don't worry, we're never doing that again. And then you show up in front of me when you're 40 and you have no pitch and we have to put it back in. Okay. So um, immediately when you, when you talked about melody, I thought about um, Martin Luther King, um, mm. people like that, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, those kind of, so have you, have you looked at, is there a link to, you know, like Martin Luther King had that, that kind of voice that he could give speeches and it was melodic. Um, and so that would be a uh, subconscious reason why we would start to trust what he's saying and the words would kind of go in right, like through the back door. Well, and I think that's a perfect example of someone who was zero afraid to reveal who he was and how he felt. And that's one of the organic ways I start to get pitch in people. I start to get these elements in people is stop thinking about the words. Don't talk to me in words. What do you feel about the words you're saying to me? And when I can flip people into their words, then they're in their body. They're connected to their heart where their message is. And the voice is the orchestra of the heart. Then they start to have some of these elements. But as long as they're bogged down in the words, I've got to get the words. Let me tell you the words. But Martin Luther King didn't give a flip about what anybody thought about how he felt. He, re- he was willing to reveal his passion. And many of us today mm. are not because that means judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's so rare that people are willing to be that vulnerable and to reveal themselves that much that we respond to it completely differently. Absolutely. Okay. So that leads, so that leads me to, um, so you work with people um, yes. and some people listening may um, 
listen to this and it, it may be uh, something that they're, they're looking to develop their, and improve their voice. What are the ways you can help them aside from the psychology of the voice, the vocal variety? I'm interested what else that you do um, that helps people. Well, many people come and they're, like I said, up in their head connected to the words. And so that's one, because when you're, connect, when you're up in your head, 100%, thinkers, analytical, perfectionists, people pleaser, they're up in their head all the time trying to get it right. That's the first shift I make, is getting them out of their head into their body, which is called grounded, which connects mind, body, and voice so that their voice will work properly. That's one of the first things that I do, which gives people the understanding and belief that the words are going to be there for them because they are, but we don't believe that. So that's the first thing we do oftentimes is buy freedom. Another thing that I look at initially, which is very technical, is most people have their sound stuck somewhere. And why is this a problem? Well, if you're holding on to your sound, you're not letting me have it. And I can subconsciously process that. And it's hard for me to connect with that. It's hard for me to really build a relationship with you when you're not even giving me your sound. Now, all of this is going down subconsciously. And it was the subconscious that put in the stick, the sticking point. So that's something that I do with people. People are in brace mode where they're not really breathing. They're not connecting their air to their sound because that's utmost vulnerability. And so there's a connection point there. So, you know, the, the kind of in a nutshell, it becomes about what do we need to do to get you to feel confident? What do we need to get you to do? Does it, do you have voice masks and foreshadowing in your voice that we need to remove so that we can really build a connection? And then we look at, are you able to compel me to take action? Are you captivating me in such a way that you're making me feel something? And sprinkled throughout all of that is learning to say what you really want to say and reveal who you really are and how you feel. So important. Oh, it changes everything. And people don't, I think that's been one of my greatest observations and the, the driving force behind my mission is how I see so many people don't realize that there's so much freedom and power and success and connection tied to the voice. People just don't always think about it that way. We think about the words. No. Yeah. And actions. And some people think about voice, but it literally, I just sit in amazement at how the tiniest shifts can literally transform people's lives. So on, in, in, on, that, on that, Fred, um, can you t- tell us about some of the, some of the people who's, you know, who's, whose lives have been changed sure. um, when they work with you? There's, there's so many there, you know, there was a man named Bill that I worked with many years ago and he was struggling with 
connection. And when I met with Bill for the first time, I, I met with him live in New York. I lived in New York City for years and he walked in the door, big, tall linebacker kind of size guy. And I introduced myself. Hey, Bill, it's so great to meet you. I'm Tracy. And he said, it's really great to meet you. Well, Bill couldn't even use his voice. And of course, my first question to Bill was, do you have older sisters? And he said, have six. And so, you know, that was his psychology of the voice story. So I helped Bill find his voice and really be able to fill the space with it and command the authority that he deserved so that he could go up the, go up the ladder. There's a couple of women that come to my mind immediately that just literally could not say what they needed to say. And these were women in their 40s and 50s. And we found their voices and now they have this freedom to use their words and have a neutrality in their tone that it's literally changed their lives, that people now will talk to them, that people now will reveal confidential information to them. And, and as women in authority, that's really important. There was an inventor that I worked with out of Canada and he came to me and he said his business was failing. And he said, I think I'm repelling customers and I said, okay, talk to me for a minute. And he did. And I said, you are, you are repelling customers. And he said, how do you know that? And I said, what are you trying to prove? Because you are just pushing me right out of the room. And he said, how did you hear that? And I said, because I hear it, because it's obvious. And he said, and of course, it was obvious to potential customers that he was repelling them. He said, I've spent my whole life trying to prove my worth to my father. That was his driver. And we took on that driver and we rewrote that muscle memory. And now he's got a flourishing business because he should have had it to begin with. Hmm. We should all, I believe that it's every single human person's life to have a beautiful life. And we put all this junk in the way to keep us from having it. And the voice is a big part of that. So really for so many people, it was just about stripping away the masks rewriting the story, rewriting the muscle memory, and now their relationships flourish. There's a man I worked with in the UK having trouble with his daughter. She literally was in defense mode everything he said. I said, you got foreshadowing all over your voice. You got voice masks all over the place. We ripped that out. All of a sudden, she, could, she believed he could hear her now. Mended that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, so just success stories all over the place in business and life in finding voices and delivering voices and allowing people in and getting rid of masks. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so important. So in what ways, if people wanted to work with you, in what ways could they work? The way that I work with people right now is I do one-on-one with people all over the world via zoom And then I also do small group coaching programs that are, again, online via Zoom that have about, there are eight-week programs that have about four or five people in them. So it's still teaching to the individual within the group, but it's small group, which is, you know, brings a lot of really cool dynamics on its own. So those are the two ways that people can work with me right now. Okay. And you, you have a book as well, don't you? I do. I do have a book and I'm writing another book on the psychology of the voice effect. I don't know when it'll be out, but yeah, I have a book, uh, Captivate the Room with Your Voice. And then, of course, I have a YouTube channel where people can see videos where I'm doing teaching. And, of course, I have a podcast, Captivate the Room. Okay. Well, thank you for for sharing 
some of your wisdom. It's 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 been you know something I'm fascinated in since I've heard your psychology of the voice. I've been I've listened to your podcast. You know, worked with you. Um, so thank you for for sharing. I think that the work that you're doing is is so important. There is so many ways that we we hold ourselves back so that we don't you know connect that we don't get what we want we don't even ask for what we want so it's been great um and yeah just thank you for for the work you do and for your time oh thank you so much for having me i've just loved this conversation and love the work that you do and and it's just really been a, an honor to be here so thank you for having me okay thank you thanks for listening i'm rob mcphillips And I'm on a quest to understand and share how we can have better relationships. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find out more or get answers to your relationship questions.